On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about cultural appropriation. There's a totem pole being taken down out front of a Hamilton Elementary School. The totem pole was a sign of goodwill, apparently, when it was built over 50 years ago. It was not disrespectful. It was meant out of a positive sense of wanting to honor the Indigenous community. So cultural appropriation or misguided. We'll talk about that one. And Don Robertson joins us in studio. We're going to be talking about all kinds of things, but specifically our analytics overdoing it. Is there too much analytics and are they killing the fun in sports? We'll do all that right here on the Scott Radley show. Today on the Scott Radley show on 900 CHML. Last week, a 50 year old, roughly 50 year old totem pole that had stood in front of Parkdale elementary school was removed by the school board. This followed a provincially mandated review of the cultural sensitivity of school logos and school mascots, things along those lines. And it was determined this totem was created with positive intent. It wasn't done as a mockery or a satire or some sort of attempt to belittle the Indigenous community, but it was deemed to be nonetheless still culturally inappropriate. Now, the story behind this is back in 1967, this totem was made by students. Now, they weren't Indigenous students. They were students who were trying to apparently show regard for the Indigenous community. Again, a positive thing. Years later, it was restored by a school parent who was partially Indigenous and who then dedicated it when it was put back in its place with a smudging ceremony and a shawl dance. That's not sufficient though, the school board decided, and it's cultural appropriation, and therefore the totem is going to come down. It's going to be saved in the board's archives, but it will not be as part of the school anymore. I want to bring in Latham Hunter to discuss this. She's a writer, a professor of communications and cultural studies. You can read her really thought-provoking great pieces in the spec regularly. Uh, She joins us now. Latham, thanks for doing this today. Hi, Scott. It's good to talk to you. Can you explain, you know, this is one of these words and one of these phrases that gets very muddled up, I think, because sometimes it's a bit of a moving target, but explain best you can the concept of cultural appropriation. Um, It has to do when um, one culture or somebody from another culture uh, takes um, something from somebody else's culture and uses it for their own purposes. Um, and it can be done with the best of intention. Uh, the problem is that when somebody outside a culture uses something that doesn't belong to their own culture, they can misinterpret it, they can misunderstand it, um, and and in so doing, really disrespect it. Um, and then there are, there are more um, specific issues around you know copyright and things like that when you get into reproducing an image that comes from another culture. But really, I think what the Board of Education is quite rightly assessing is um, this uh, this idea that when, or what the board is supporting is the idea that when you take something and you take from another culture and you, you use it for your own purposes, whether it's identifying a school or whatever, um, that keeps happening. And over time, um, a culture loses its, its sense of... Um, of, of its agency, um, and it's it's it, it's not able to exist according to its own beliefs because these elements of it of the, it, its culture has been taken and used by other people. It doesn't matter how well-meaning they are. Um, the idea is that uh, the culture is diluted, misinterpreted. Uh, images are. Uh, 
circulated around the world, and, and suddenly the culture does not belong to that original culture anymore. Um, it's been it's been diluted and sort of muddied up. Let's go. Um, I, I want to come back to the the Parkdale thing in just a moment. We're going to work our way back to this one because this the the totem pole is certainly the the focal point of this particular story, but. Your definition, I think, is the right definition. I, I, I take no issue with anything that you said as far as explaining what that's all about. The concept, though, of cultural appropriation becomes kind of fraught with difficulties, doesn't it? Because all of us, we live in a country that is a diverse country. We're supposed to be living with other people that we've had from, we are just talking about immigration last segment, with people who have come from other parts of the world. All of us have been inspired by other cultures that we've been exposed to, have adopted different parts of their culture into our life. How do you, where does the cultural appropriation begin and where does inspiration begin? And is there a meld between the two that we can separate? Well, the power dynamic is really important to consider. Um, That's the first thing. When one larger, more dominant culture appropriates something from a culture that has um, been uh, absolutely torn apart and devastated by that more dominant culture, uh, that's a far, far more serious uh, problem, in, in, in my opinion. Um, there is a lot of cultural diversity in this country, and we're always sort of swapping, exchanging, um, understanding each other's um, cultures. And, and yeah, bits and pieces get um, passed back and forth sometimes. But to do that and sort of say, well, you know, we're in a diverse culture. This is what happens. That's um, uh, a rejection or a negation of the sheer volume of, uh, of devastation that, um, that white colonialism um, unleashed on uh, Indigenous people in this country. Let me play devil's advocate for a second then, because uh, is it always with the culture, it's called cultural appropriation, but can there be individual cases that fall out of that? For example, uh, I was thinking earlier this afternoon, someone like Jay-Z, very, very powerful musician down in the States. Let's say he borrows an idea or finds inspiration from a poor working white music artist and takes something from there. Is that appropriation or is that not appropriation? Well, it depends on how, and I'm I'm not a legal expert. Sure, I'm, I, and I'm not talking about I'm not talking about stealing the idea. It's the idea of who has the power. You've now got a very very wealthy, powerful black man who would have normally been in the less powerful group, but his role is now flipped. So is it is it just the group, or it can be individual cases? Uh, it can be individual cases too. But in that case, Jay Z would owe that poor white musician uh, royalties. Um, and, and that's a pretty clear cut example of, yeah, if you're going to take something from one culture, then, but I mean, this is, this is, this is a huge debate, right? You know, some people have said Led Zeppelin is not really, they should not have gotten as much credit as they did right. because they were just taking from, you know, poor black blues musicians. In Absolutely. The United States. Um, so there is, there is inspiration, but then there is appropriation. You know, another example, just as we go into this, Elvis, there's no question it's been well identified that Elvis took most of his inspiration from Southern gospel, from black Mm -hmm. music. Is that now then, as we look back, cultural appropriation? Yes, it was. And, and that's, that's an early, it's an early adoption of that, that whole, um, that, that, that paradigm. But, um, this is something that, I mean, yeah, we could talk about Jerry Lee Lewis. We could talk about a whole slew of white male musicians who appropriated black blues 
um, and used it to their advantage. The thing is, that was an early stage, and we had to get through years and years and years before the rules around cultural appropriation were understood, and things like copyright came into play. Um, and this is something that artists, you know, artists and musicians and had been struggling with for hundreds of years. You know, this, this, is the, this is the end point of a long, long road in defining what is mine, what is yours, what is inspiration, what is stealing. And we're not there yet with things like um, uh, respecting indigenous culture. We're just barely at the point where we're starting to understand the kind of damage we did. So I think that there's a, a difference in sort of how the culture grows and understands and, and grapples with um, the way that we have taken from another culture. Let me throw that another. Yeah, absolutely. Let me throw another example at you, not to do with music, because there's lots of different areas. We can go into all kinds oh, of yeah. tentacles of society. Uh, there was a story a couple of years ago out of Portland, Oregon, where there were two women who had been down in Mexico, loved the Mexican food, especially from the old Mexican women who were making making homemade burritos and stuff, mm-hmm. and they learned how to do this from them. Came home to Portland and started a burrito truck. And within a few months, the locals there said, no, this is cultural appropriation. And they were basically shut down because this was not right, that these non-Mexican women were making Mexican food. Some of these things, we start to get into some pretty weird, pretty difficult areas to know, okay, so if I cook Chinese food at home one day, am I appropriating (laughs) a culture? Like it, it becomes exceedingly complicated to know what you're doing and what you're not doing. It does. And that's a really, really strange example because for how long have people been traveling to places like France to learn how to do French cooking and then they bring it back to you know North America or other parts of Europe I mean Jamie Oliver has made it um, you know a big part he'd go to Italy and he'd he'd learn from it's it's very very difficult to put your stamp on a, a, a particular type of food but the thing is too is that food that were made by you know the these Mexican women was it, um, did it contain, you know, spiritual beliefs? Um, did it contain, do you see what I mean? I mean, is it a daily practice or is it something that's fundamental to understanding, you know, the culture? In, and, food in a, in a, and food becomes very difficult because food is central to every culture. It is. It is. Um, And so I look at this story, though, and I think to myself, okay, you know what, your point about the spiritual side, yeah, absolutely, I get that. In this particular case, I'm looking at it going, okay, I I don't really see the harm, because what you're doing is not mocking their society again, it is taking the good part of their culture that would not have been exposed to other people and saying, here, you can now have this. mm -hmm. But were they paying a portion of the profits to the women did they pay to learn how, how to cook this food? Would they then pay royalties to these women who taught them? Did the women know that when they were teaching them this, they would be taking that knowledge and using it for their own financial gain? There are a lot of details I'm not aware of, and all sure. of these things play a really important role in determining whether this, this is cultural appropriation or whether it's sort of, yeah, exploring diversity and mixing things together and going on your own way. So let's go back to Parkdale for just a second, because they've got this totem pole. And again, it, it's, a co- it's an even more complicated story because you have this person who's involved, who's a parent, who was partially Indigenous, apparently, who was involved in redoing it. And so it's a, there's some disagreement on, okay, was that enough Indigenous content to make it okay? I, I don't know. But the, uh, clearly not, according to the school board. The issue, though, is there are those who say, look, by taking this totem pole down, 
yes, you're taking away something that was not made by Indigenous people, but you're also removing from public sight, you're also removing from the consciousness of these kids an Indigenous symbol that would maybe allow them to be more aware of Indigenous issues. Yeah, but that's assuming that that's the only way to, to make them aware. I mean, I think anybody who argues that has a real lack of imagination because there are so many ways that you can make people aware of Indigenous culture and our responsibility in threatening that culture. Um, you know, just a totem pole made by, you know, white kids how many years ago is, is not the best way to do it. So why would you keep it around? Why wouldn't you try and find better ways? I mean, surely we have the imagination and the resources to do that. It's a fascinating topic. I wish we had a lot more time to do it, but uh, Lathan, we're definitely going to have you back on the show. I love having you on and uh, appreciate your time today. Thanks for doing this. Thanks so much, Scott. Uh, it is it is one of those topics that I swear can tie you up in knots because you don't want to be mocking, you don't want to be stealing other people's culture and identity, and yet at times you also say, uh, yeah, but we're also honoring the culture in some way. So where is the balance? It, it it's look if anyone thinks it's an easy discussion to have, you're uh, you're maybe either far wiser or far more stupid than I. I'm not sure which one it is because it doesn't seem like it's an easy one to deal with at all. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Don Robertson is going to join us as he does every Monday at this time. By the way, I must ask, as I brought this up last hour, have you ever attempted to knock down a bee's nest or hornet's nest with live flame towards your home? No, but I was fortunate enough to watch my father at the cottage um, tie up a... um, you know those little welding tanks, those little small things that you would uh, solder with? Okay. They had a flame on them and a small tank, and I forget the name of them. So he tied that to a long pole and tried to burn one out of the roof of the uh, And how did cottage. that go? The bees were gone, and they, he didn't light the whole place on fire, but it uh, he may have had more fuel in it than the flames in the thing at the time he decided to do it. More fuel than himself? Dusk, yeah. Oh, okay, well. Had to have, because I'm like eight or ten going. Well, I wonder if this will ever work. <laughs> it did. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, uh, as I said last hour, as a rule, directing live flame towards any part of your home yeah. is probably a poor idea, regardless of what the circumstance yeah, no, is. He, well, they were gone. <laughs> I have uh, in my shop, one of my shop and one of the garage, one of those things you can buy at uh, multiple locations, Lowe's and so on, that it's raid and it, uh, for wasp and hornet nests. And I think it sprays about 1,800 feet because... Well, just a straight line. Yeah. Of, yeah, well, I, they have to. They are cool, and I swear it, it will shoot long enough because I've knocked a couple down with those things, and the can is virtually empty before it stops spraying. You can stand back and watch it continue to go. Well, it's like the light from a star. Yeah, it takes, that's right. <laughs> it takes time to get to Earth. The star is already long gone and long dead by the time Boy, the light do, gets here. Boy, do they work. I mean, you can be long gone because you're actually annoying some of the hornets. They don't like that stuff. Yeah, but half the ta- half the can is missed. It's it's only you know, It takes you half the can to get your aim right. Yeah, and no. then, uh, uh, By the way, Don Robertson, for those who don't know who are listening, going, Don Robertson? Uh, yeah, Don Robertson is the owner-operator of ComChoice Realty, but he is also, the biggest reason he's here, he's the owner and operator and coach and GM and bill payer and dressing room cleaner of the Dundas Real McCoys Hockey Club that must be getting ready to start pretty soon. Well, we're signing players because uh, we're hosting, uh, co-hosting the Allen Cup this year in, in April with uh, the Hamilton Steelhawks. And 
I'm sure they're busy signing players. I know we are, and we're putting the finishing touches on our annual golf tournament, which is September the 5th, being held at Copetown Woods. And uh, I'm easy to find, uh, 905-627-4880. If you uh, think you want to come, we've got a couple spots open. It'll be a fun day. Jimmy Ralph will uh, um, entertain us with his after-dinner speaking. So I was reading a piece this weekend, Don, about uh, about baseball by a uh, a writer who has found it difficult to remain as enthused about baseball as he once was. And the reason behind it is not that the athletes aren't great, not that the sport isn't still good, not that all that kind of stuff. It's simply the overwhelming amount of analytics that are affecting all manner of the game, shifts and who to pitch to and changing pitchers after a short time and having starters who are closers and closers who are starters and that it's not the baseball that he grew up watching and grew up loving. And I, I think I can expand that beyond just baseball. I think you can see this in every sport now. In every sport now, analytics has taken over every single sport. There's not one sport out there that isn't looking at computer-generated models and algorithms and probabilities and everything else. Is it too? Has analytics, have analytics taken the fun out of sports? Whether they made them, the athletes better is not the point. Has it made it less fun? I think attendance is the best way to measure that. And football is very analytic now. And you know, they've had set plays far more than, you know, the quarterback drops back. He knows where the receivers are going, unlike baseball and hockey that unfolds a little bit more naturally. The NFL seem to draw rather well, maybe not in Winnipeg, but they draw rather well. Uh, baseball attendance is, uh, you know, up and down from one century to the other century. You know, they, they thought steroids was a bad idea. I personally didn't care. I mean, if a guy wants to look like the Incredible Hulk and doesn't mind dying at 42. I think it's a silly choice, but, you know, he's sure going to hit a baseball from Toronto to Montreal. It might entertain a lot of people. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it's, it's. I think one of the things, I, I think I know who you're talking about that wrote that. I didn't read it. I saw, saw it on Twitter and I don't like this anymore. And, you know, um, I don't want to be one of those old farts that goes, you know, you got to leave it exactly the way it was because it's not the way it was before. You know, the leather gloves are a little bit better. You know, everything is There's cha- a lot. There's a lot that's better. Everything has changed an awful lot, and it may be a cycle. It doesn't seem to me to be as natural. I, for the life of me, though, when you see, uh, you know, I coach some senior fastball, and, you know, when guys shift and, and, and do things to compensate a pull hitter, I would say, just slap it into right field. Yeah, but most of these guys can't because they never have. They've got to the major leagues by hitting home runs, by pulling it over the fence. They've gotten that far. That's why they're there. And to suddenly say, okay, become Tony Gwynn or Ichiro and just slap it the other way. It, these guys have never done that. I don't, I don't think they I could. I, I, I honestly, They're I pretty think, good athletes. I mean, they're great athletes. Cow. And maybe they could bunt it that way. But I don't yeah. see that they could just turn around and start slapping it the opposite way. Yeah, like lay, throw it down the third baseline. You're going to get on every time, which is another analytic on-base percentage. If you're going to get on, 
60% of the time because they're pulling the shift, they'll quit pulling the shift and then drill it again. The one guy that I could never figure it out was, remember, you may not remember, some people will. At the beginning of this year, Chris Davis of the Baltimore Orioles started the year something like 0 for 38 or 0 for 40. He set some record for the worst Longest stretch to start a season without a hit. And then with three for four in the game, he hit, right? Yeah. But they were playing the shift on him every time because he is a dead pull hitter. He's a left-handed hitter, and they had three, sometimes four guys on the first base side of second base, just jamming the infield. And the right fielder was over to the right field. And right, and he was hitting line drives in this slump right at guys. And they take it as a challenger. I'll hit it through these guys. Exactly. But I'm looking, going. You're 0 for 35. Drop a bunt down the first ba- down the third baseline and get on base. Somehow, I, I almost think that in baseball, it's a sign of um, not disrespect, but it, that you've been beaten if you give in to that and do it. I don't know. It, it just seems to me if I'm if I'm a coach, if I'm a baseball manager right now. I'm telling every guy for the start of the season: as soon as they shift you, I want you to bunt it down third and get on base. And we're going to keep doing this until they take the shift off, and then you can wail away. But no one does it. No one does it. But it goes back to the analytics thing. I, I You know, you've now got, as I say, closers who are starting a game. You've got starting pitchers who are now not being called starting pitchers anymore. They're being called bulk pitchers, which sounds like what David Wells was once upon a time. He was um, good at it, but he was a bulk pitcher. It, 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 Tony Fernando, uh, Fernandez from L.A. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. No, who are you talking? Um, I said Tony. It's not Tony. It's not Tony. It's uh, uh, Fernando Valenzuela. Yes, he used to roll his eyes. Mm-hmm. And everything. So, you know, in in hockey, um, they had the trap, and I remember having a uh, cocktail with uh, Tom Barrett, the the late coach of the K- Kitchener Rangers, and he was coaching a minor pro team and. Saginaw against me, and we went for a cocktail after the game. And he says he's talking. Everybody's talking about the trap. And he said we used to call that one man, one man deep. So in the old days, you just sent one guy in, two guys set up at the blue line. So they started coming up with names that of a style that was just traditional. So they started naming things mm-hmm. and giving it a name. He just still called it first guy go deep, and the other two guys fall into position. But that's part of it too. Everything needs a nickname. And everything needs to be analyzed as to how effective it is when the true analyzing of how a system was working before we used to check the scoreboard. Well, yeah, and now even some of the stuff on the scoreboard you're being told is not really what you're seeing on the scoreboard. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it, look, I, it, I do wonder, there are, I mean, look, there are issues with sports. There's issues with the cost to go to a game. There's issues with the cost to buy a beer or whatever when you go to the game. There's a cost of all that kind of stuff. But I do look and I go, I wonder what would happen if a league were to say, we are going to take this game out of the hands of our coaches and put it back in the hands of the players. That if you were to take the, if the NHL, again, will never happen. If you took the NHL and said, or a minor league, let's say a minor league hockey team, like the AHL has done things before as a test run for the NHL. We are going to say that you can have one coach behind the bench, nobody in the press box talking to him, and that coach can only coach one practice a week. The rest of the time, the players are on there by themselves. And let's see what kind of hockey you end up with. And you want to know something? I would bet you money it would be more entertaining. 
I just, I do. I think it'll be way more entertaining. Maybe not as good, but more entertaining. The players would think so. Uh, We've done that when I've been uh, not happy. Walk in and say, why don't you do whatever you want? Go and have fun. Just do whatever you want. If it works, then we'll leave you alone. Never works. But they think it will. Because a lot of guys don't like discipline. But if both teams are doing it. Yeah. It might work. Might some turn, team some team's going to work for them. Yeah, it might be 10-7. You know, and you talk about, is it going to affect attendance? The game's changed this much. It's not like it used to be. Well, it, it's not like it used to be in Toronto in the early 90s when they were winning um, World Series championships. And then it died and people won't go. They can't compete. And all of a sudden, what, five years ago? So six years ago, two years in a row, they're in the playoffs. And the building's full. Mm-hmm. They didn't care what style they were playing. They were winning. That's the style that I like. The, the, team, the teams that win. It doesn't matter how you win as long as you win. Does it? it I hear that all the time, and I, I think that's true most of the time. But I'm not convinced that's the case. I'm not convinced that everybody loves watching a team that is like Jacques Lemaire's New Jersey Devils that wins 2-1 to one or one nothing every game. They might not, but they do like winning. They if, like if winning. If you're going to watch a game 2-1, you better win them. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. If you're losing games two to one and every game is a grind. There are, there are very few sports franchises like the Boston, uh, uh, help me, Red Sox. Okay. And Dallas Cowboys that win, lose, or draw, they're having tremendous success at the gate. Um, Toronto have a core. I'm sure like most major league centers have a core. But the rest of them are, you know, kind of on the outside looking in and saying, show me something. They're, I'm from Missouri, so show me you can win and I'll start going again. Toronto's really proven to be like that because they are not interested in going to a lot of games to watch a rebuild. And um, and you know what? The Jays haven't been all that bad in the last month since they got rid of apparently everybody that could actually play the game. And uh, But, you know, th- there are hot spots. And if this columnist, if he is, said, I'm not interested in the game anymore. Well, he's in a minority. I think he's just not interested in watching a game that he's determined isn't the way he thinks it should be played. Yeah, and, and I He's entitled to that opinion. He's and, a columnist. And I don't share the entire opinion. I still love baseball. But I, I, I was thinking about it after this was written, and I thought, the two teams that I can remember, well, three, let me go three, the three teams in sports that I can remember in my lifetime that have been the most fun to watch, unquestionably. 1980s, the Showtime LA Lakers with Magic Johnson, which was fast break and just let the players go. We didn't have a set offense. You got a rebound and you took off and you ran the weave and you threw it to James Worthy or you threw it to Byron Scott or Magic Johnson or Kareem or Kurt Rambis or whoever. And it was, there was no setup. You just ran and it was fun and it was the players doing it. The Edmonton Oilers from the 1980s with Gretzky and all those guys where it was wide open hockey. We didn't have traps and everything else. And, and the other one was the 1990s Buffalo Bills, where Jim Kelly was running the K-Gun offense that was the no-huddle offense for the whole game, pretty much. And the, the tie between the thing that links all those is you put the decisions back in the hands of the players. Yeah. In all three of those, it was the players who were making, it wasn't a coach on the sidelines saying, slow it down so I can go to the al- al- analytics and the algorithms and everything else and go to the playbook. It was... You're wonderfully talented athletes who are wonderfully creative. Do it. Okay. So the three 
com- uh, the common thing between all three of those teams you just cited was premier players. Yes. All three of those teams had the best teams in the league yep. at their time. There would be guys like Jacques Demers trying to stop them. You could not stop the Edmonton Oilers. You could not stop the L.A. Lakers. And the Buffalo Bills had more talent than anybody else in the NFL, and you can do it that way. It's the guys that bring the analytics in or the guys that are coaching not to get fired, right? And that's what changes the game. There are so many teams now and so few head coaches. Well, that sounds stupid. There's so many teams and so few head coaching no, but positions, but you get what I'm saying. Like there's like basically 30 teams in all the Premier Leagues. Uh, you know, the uh, hockey has 32 now, but those positions are hard to get. So you want to hang on to them. So if you don't have the Edmonton Oilers or you don't have the LA Lakers, you got to figure out how to win. And when you don't have all that skill, you can. I mean, there was. I mean, in 2014, when the Dundas Real McCoys won the Allen Cup in overtime. You know, our top three lines in that tournament, uh, we had a great fourth shutdown line. It didn't matter who was, who you sent over. Like, when you're good enough, you just send whatever line. You don't have to worry about We didn't line match. We, You know, our, our attitude was, I said to Spud and Bernie, I said, let them match us. We're not worried about who they put out. We'll put out whoever we want. Let them figure it out. And when you're good enough, it's a lot of fun to watch because you can just send them over. I would love to see what would happen if... As I say, in in any of these sports, if the league was to say, because all these teams now in all, we're not in the era anymore where teams have grunts playing. All these teams now have great players up and down the lineup. Baseball, basketball, NHL, NFL, CFL. If you were to say, football, it would be very difficult. It would be exceedingly difficult because you've got a playbook and that's the way the sport is played. But for the other ones, I would love to see if you were to say for a month, no coaches allowed. Okay, so... Not that I'm taking away your job or anything. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like it to be gone, to be cheaper. Um, Let me give you two examples. So you let the New York Yankees and the Toronto Blue Jays play a 10-game series, take the coaches away and say, boys, go do, do whatever you want. What do you think the result is? I think the Yankees still win. But I think that you, well, I don't know how it would play out. I don't, I, I, first of all, it would be really interesting to see it, but I would bet you money that the game that you would see played out in front of you is not the game that you will see with the I manager with micromanaging everything. I agree with that, but I still think the series ends 8-2 Yankees. Maybe, maybe. It could well. But again, it goes back to, okay, so I want to back to talent, right? It goes back to talent, but I also want to see the entertainment. I bet, you know what you'd see a lot of in baseball? You'd see a ton more steals. Right off the bat, because guys would say, I can steal. But right now, everybody has a green, has a red light because they're, well, he's going to hit a home run, so why am I going to take a chance getting thrown out if he's going to hit a two-run homer? You'd see guys start to steal. You'd see trick plays. It might be more entertaining. You would see all kinds of stuff. You would see it with the pitchers now calling their own, pitchers and catchers calling their own games, like they used to do in the old days, like in the really old days, like the Yogi Berra old days. Yeah. It would be... I, I can't, I'm not going to sit here because I'm, I, two reasons. First of all, I, I wasn't alive in the black and white era of baseball and TV and all that kind of thing. So everybody who says, oh, baseball was way, way, way better back oh in the day. Oh my goodness. It was so boring because the camera angles, there was no instant replay. That's a load of crap. But I do think there is something to the fact that when you talk about what are all the greatest games ever played in any sport, by and large, they all go back 
at least 20, 30, 40 years. Now, I don't know how much of that is to do with legend building and myth mythologizing of games, but there's got to be something to the fact that, you know, there are great games that are played now, for sure. There's no question about it. I'm not, I'm not dumping on sports. I'm not saying sports sucks now, not that at all. I just think that you, when you begin to micromanage anything too much, you slurp the creativity out of it and you've got guys who are really creative and that's why they're at this level and you're not letting them do what they're really, really good at in a lot of cases. Well, I'll tell you, when, when a lot of it used to be player-driven, uh, Bobby Orr is arguably the best player to ever put on a pair of skates and he would go out and play anywhere from two to three minutes and 15 second shifts. Yeah. And for him to get a little rest, he would rag the puck back into his own zone with Bill Kelly screaming and yelling because he's so happy, to get a little rest so he could go back up the ice. As good as Bobby Orr was, he could not in today's game play two, two-minute to three-minute three and 15-second shifts. He would have to adhere. Not even strength. So that just tells me oh, things are different. how fast the game is now and how intense it is. Absolutely. Things are very different. There's no question. And it's not a question of, like, Phil Esposito used to be on the ice for seven minutes at a time. Forever. Yeah, you go yeah, play the whole period. And then go have a cigarette in the intermission <laughs> and come out and play the next one. It is different. I would love to see, though, what would happen. I think, it's, I think it would be a really interesting experiment to see what would happen if we took coaches out of a game for a period of time and said to the players, let's see how you do it. You choose. No. The irony is it is a, it is a sports is built on a tribal or a warfare or a whatever you want to call an army model of things. You've got a group of people fighting towards the same goal. The irony is you would have somebody in that clubhouse or dressing room who would be designated as the guy who would make the decisions. Yep. Who would ultimately end up being the coach, coach anyway. For a while, though, it would be great until yeah. they figured it out. was reading a, a piece today, Don saw a thing today, that the Los Angeles Clippers have been installed as the favorites to win the NBA championship this year, based in no small part to the fact that Kawhi Leonard is now there. But it got me thinking about, uh, there was another story that I saw that was talking about goalies, that there's never in hockey, there's not going to be any more load carrying goalies. You're going to not see a guy do like Brodeur did or like Bernie Perrant did or any of these guys where they play 65, 70, 75 games in a season. Nobody's going to do that anymore. And again, not to belabor the point that we were talking about last segment, but load management is now a thing. Is load management good for sports? I, let me, I don't understand it well enough to say yes or no. I think it's a load of crap. Um, I guess that's my position. Glenn Hall played, what, 37,000 straight games? Something like that. Barfed before everyone. In goal. And had the luxury of playing in Toronto on a Saturday night and playing in Montreal on a Sunday afternoon and taking a train to get there. And not wearing a mask. And not wearing a mask. Um, so if a guy can do that on a train that was not a bullet train, that probably included some alcohol and food during the night, and play that many games in a row, and these guys get on chartered planes, have days off. Now, I agree that they may want some days off because they're going coast to coast, but I don't know if there's any significant evidence to suggest that a goaltender plays better in the playoffs if 
he only plays 55 games versus 68 games. I don't know who wins Stanley Cups by doing that. And whether it's hockey or whether it's any other sport, I mean, I can see, you know, baseball, people always joke around that baseball, you know, there's no contact. It's, you know, it's baseball. Oh, you got a blister. He's out for a week. There's a lot of jokes about baseball. It's a grind. 162 games in That's a year. That's a lot of baseball. Is That's a, a grind. When you, care, when you figure out that they also have travel and they also have batting practice every day and they're working in the cage and they're stretching and they're working out. And it, I mean, it, joke or not, it is a grind. I can easily see. Major League Baseball team saying, I don't want a guy playing more than 130 games a year. Now, the player may be upset because that cuts into his statistics and that cuts into what he's able to make and blah, blah, blah. Well, the agents will figure that out in 55 seconds saying you've reduced his playing time by 20%. His stats are still good. Yeah, no, for sure. But I, 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 I just, I can see this across the board. And you know what I haven't, you know what I'm surprised we haven't seen yet? I am shocked we haven't seen in hockey, because maybe there's another sport where this would apply. You're the goalie who's playing tonight, and the coach has decided the backup is playing tomorrow in wherever. Mm-hmm. We're going to call up goalie to back up tonight, so the backup can go to that next city a day early just to get acclimatized and get rested. And yeah, they there are things that are going to be happening with load management that will make the game look very much unlike what we see today. So there'll be a lot of professional sporting teams that watched load management with Kawhi Leonard. Yep, injured for a year. Only played half a dozen games a year before. Probably had more to do with disagreements than disability. Um, Maybe. Uh, my guess is, and have it's only a guess, I'm seldom wrong, but it's only a guess that the Toronto Raptors managed that load management as much to be able to re-sign Kawhi Leonard as they did win a championship. 100%. Because they don't know, they didn't know if they were going to win one round, two rounds. They they won everything, and good for them. I was excited. It was wonderful that they won. They didn't know if they'd win, but they knew. And if they didn't win, they had to have Kawhi back for the next they year. They needed to re-sign him no matter what. The time when they least needed to re-sign Kawhi Leonard was after they won the championship. But they, I think they, the load management was more of a load of something else to get him to re-sign, which didn't work. So, but it. But on the court, because a lot the the medical staff were praised, the management were praised, and everything else. But the mere fact that they won the championship gives credence to load management. And now I will be shocked if you don't see LeBron James taking games off for load management this year. And name your other NBA star who will be sitting for load management. Guarantee, I would guarantee that you're going to see that this year, right across the league. Right across the league, you're going to be seeing this. My issue with this is I believe that if you're going to be in sports and you're going to have load management as part of your team's plan, you know how when, if you go to the Buffalo Sabres game now, (laughs) before the season starts, you can look at the schedule and you see, okay, uh, the uh, Florida Panthers are coming in. That's a bronze game. The Toronto Maple Leafs are coming in. That's a gold game. Your ticket price is adjusted based on what level the game is. If you're going to be doing load management as a corporate policy within a team, you should be charging less and you should be identifying what games or people get a refund or they get a gift certificate for concessions or something if you show up and Kawhi or LeBron or whoever is not playing that day. It's totally, I get it, but it's totally unfair to the fans. 
it is when they ex- when they expect you're right they want the fans to pay full pop but they won't guarantee you they'll put the ray lineup out and right? look, what, what other place does this well, what, and, what other workplace or, or line of work would do this i think they do it around my place no, but if you like on Broadway, using an example, in the if you go to a play, yeah. they have certain days where you know Saturday afternoons the understudy is in, and yeah. you, and it's a cheaper ticket when the understudy is there, and the occasional times that a guy is injured, and we all get or sick or whatever, and yeah. we know in sports that happens, but that's that's an unexpected, unplanned, unpreparable thing. When did they sit Vladdy Junior? Remember there was a big game. It was yeah, like right July on Canada 1st. Day. Yeah, July first. I mean, holy crap! Tell me about. <clears throat> so if they're going to do load management, you would think that the guy selling the tickets, like if I'm running the real McCoys and I have two stud NHL players, if I'm sitting them out because I don't want to play too much, it's not going to be at home. Yeah, but then I'm how? Going to deprive my fans. But, but then what that creates is LeBron's coming in and LeBron's not playing in yeah. Toronto. As a matter of fact, he's not even going to Toronto. And you want to know something about Toronto? Toronto will be the place when everybody sits. You'll be seeing all the teams yeah. if it's load management. It'll help the record. It'll help the record. But you're right, it's not what you're paying for. So now I buy tickets for the Lakers because I want to see LeBron. And, oh, he's not coming to Toronto. Okay, I want to buy, uh, buy tickets because I want to see so-and-so. Oh, he's not coming to Toronto. It, it'll be the easy trip to oh, skip. Toronto, went, Toronto will be the one. That... And I, like, I just don't know how professional sports they're going to have to deal with this at some point because it is go it is going to be a problem there is an there is a fair understanding social contract whatever you want to call it with fans and teams that if a guy is injured he's injured there's nothing you can do about that yep. that's always been the way and there's you can't force a guy onto the floor if he's got a broken leg no. but if he's just tired or not even tired we just decide we want to give him a day off for load for for previously established because here's the thing Kawhi Leonard so we were told afterwards, they had sort of slotted out ahead of time his timing. And so if you've got back-to-back games, you're going to get a load management game in one of those two, whatever else. It was, this was not a, hey, Kawhi, how you feeling? I'm a little sleepy. Okay, take the day off. Yeah, no. You're going to have to start reducing the, the, the cost, which they're not going to do. We'll see if the Clippers do that this year. Do the load management? Well, they got two years with them? Yeah, two, maybe three. Maybe three. So they're going to want to... Keep him happy and keep him re-signed and... Are they? Sure they will. You think you only got two years? Well... He's, he's going to go whoever pay him the most money. That's what I... Yeah, but he's also home now yeah. in Los Angeles and if you can just... If he's a happy guy, he'll probably re-sign. You'll be able to pay him even more money, apparently, the, the way that NBA contracts work. He, he can make, I don't know, $12 billion a year or something after two years. That's just an enormous amount of money, but... I, I see it as, enti- this is a business thing that, you know, we were just talking about how sports has changed and everything else. This is a business thing that the sport, the business of basketball, the business of baseball, the business of hockey is going to have to address this because if I'm the Oilers, <clears throat> actually it probably won't be the Oilers because they will be life and death in all likelihood to get a playoff spot if they're in contention. Take a better team, take the, the, the Lightning, take the Leafs, take the whoever. And now the Leafs show up someplace, and you're not bringing. You're going to Arizona, and you're not bringing Austin Matthews. Yeah. Well, first of all, Matthews is going to be ticked off, but so is every fan in Arizona who paid big money to go see the Leafs play. That's that's not a way you build your business. It just isn't. No, but I mean, not, uh, and and now here I'm going to switch sides a little bit here because that's what I do. The uh, 
the pressure on the schedule and the owners and everything else, the owners are putting a little bit of this on themselves because they, the leagues do cram a lot of games in in a short period of time. But I'm telling you, I, I was on an NHL charter within the last six years, uh, maybe four years, and the way those guys travel is pretty luxurious. Yeah. I mean, the whole plane is like the front of the plane. It's all first class. Um, you know, they give you a knife and fork to eat with. I mean, they travel very, very well. And that management side of it is pretty good. So, oh, there's, there's, look, like, these, it's not like Jacques Lemaire. They're Jacques not staying. In, they're not play, staying in Motel Six either. No, they're not staying. You know, they're staying in luxury hotels. Yeah. They've all got their own suite now. They're five stars. It's it's mandated that they have to be. If there's one available, it has to be a five star. Everything, hotel. everything, and uh, you know, I I'm not I'm not a professional athlete. I don't. I've never had to go through the grind of a season of the training and everything else. I'm not pretending that it's not a horrible, difficult grind. That said, if you choose then that that grind is so significant that your investment in your players needs those players to have time off at a regularly scheduled interval, to me, you don't ding the fans for full ticket prices when that's the case. How how many... um Load games? Do you think the fourth line guys are going to get? You know, I was just going to say that. How come fourth? How come? How come only the stars need a break? Well, I can tell. I can give you an argument for it because they're playing sixteen, seventeen minutes a game versus three or four minutes a game. I think. Well, but just a second. Just a, you, you may be right, but with the Raptors last year, Kawhi Leonard was not playing more than Kyle Lowry was not playing more than most of the other starters, and he was the only guy who needed load management. He was the only guy that needed to resign. We already covered that. That's my I, opinion. I, 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 you're you're right. My point is though, if you're going to argue it as load management to keep a guy healthy, but if you use Austin Matthews, who's twenty two, is he shaving yet? He's twenty two, making ten or eleven million bucks a year, versus your fourth line guy. They're going to try and save Matthews because because every team thinks that they better rest, particularly the older guys, I would think. But, you know, like Crosby or somebody like that that's really old now, like 32 or 33 years old. But every every team will pull, will be able to justify it to their fans because we are going to the Stanley Cup Finals. We are going to the NBA Finals. We've got to rest them. And you do that two years in a row, and you get beat out in the first and second round, they're going to say, screw that, play the good guys all the time. When I was a kid, I was very fortunate. My dad had a friend who was a partner at a law firm that had season tickets for the Maple Leafs. Back in the day when Leaf tickets, even in the Golds, did not require you to sell a spleen into the black market. And I think it was most years, if I recall correctly, back in the 70s and 80s, a gold ticket right near the front was between 35 and $50 a game. It was not cheap. I mean, in the 80s, 50 bucks was 50 bucks, but it wasn't like it is now where a platinum seat in Air Canada Center or Scotiabank or whatever is, you know, six, seven, eight hundred dollars So every year, because of this friend, my dad was able to buy a pair of tickets from him, from the season tickets before the law firm even got their hands on them. So every year I got to pick the best game that I wanted to go see and go see one game a year. And we paid for them and we went. And I, there's two that I remember. There's, of all the games I went to, actually there's three. One was with the Philadelphia Flyers because Bernie Perrant was my hero. I saw that one as a kid. 
I was there when Rick Vive got his 50th goal, became the first Leafs to do it against the Blues. But the other one I remember was 1982, January 16, 1982, Wayne Gretzky and the Edmonton Oilers came in. And it was the only visit, and it was the year that Gretzky broke 200 points and or 215, I can't remember. Anyway, and they were the hottest team, and he was riding. He had 75 points in the past 12 games or something. <laughs> and the Leafs ended up winning 8-1. to one. Bunny LaRock stopped Gretzky on a penalty shot. The story was we heard after was that the Oilers had all gone to Brantford the night before and had a few too many. Who knows if that story is true. But the point is I was 13 years old, 12 years old, something in there. If Wayne Gretzky had taken a load management day that day, yeah. that memory that I have going to that game doesn't exist. The Bunny LaRock story isn't as good. Nothing is as good. Nothing about it is good. And I'm only telling this because now you e- extrapolate this over all the sports, over all the cities, over all the superstars who now start taking all these days off. And all these people who have saved their money. Look, not everybody can afford to go to all these games and it's no, no big deal out of their pocket. You've saved money to go to these games. And the guy goes, ah, load management day. That sucks. See, Sidney Crosby understands how it works. He knows he's expected to play every game. And Wayne Gretzky will tell you that. Bobby Hull will tell you that. That he knows the people are coming to watch him. Good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, a wayward trip to Brantford or a uh, you know a late night for Bobby Hull, they showed up and performed the next day. Some days far better than others, but they always showed up to play. But as you're t- telling that story, I mean, that, that, that is a pretty cool story, both those stories, uh, who you got to see. How do you do it in the NFL with your quarterbacks? Well, in the NFL... I, I want to see that one when they're... Okay, you know what? Uh... The Bills have been to three straight Super Bowls. We're going to sit Jim Kelly out a couple See, games. you can't. You can't do it in the NFL because every game is so important to get into the playoffs. But what you can do, and what I think you will see more of now, is in games that are now two or three, we got a three-touchdown spread and it's the second Blow half. Flip the other guys in. You're going to see guys coming out really fast. Really fast. Or if you're way behind. And what you'd never see in the NFL or the CFL for that matter, and you may see it now, is right now it's got to be a massive spread before you take out your starters. Well, now you may be up three touchdowns. You may take him out and say, but don't take your shoulder pads off yet. You may have to go back in. It's like pulling your starting goalie. You may we're have to go back five, in. We're playing tomorrow night, yank him out halfway through the game and, you know, stay, stay, stay warm because, if, you know, if the Radley kid can't stop a football tonight, you're going back. If you... If you got to stop a football, I don't know what sport you're playing, but it sounds painful. I just think it's something bigger and easier for you to stop. (laughs) Beach ball, how's that? The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.